Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Welcome to the Christmas episode, everyone. Ho, 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 people. <laughs> now you know it's Christmas. <laughs> I'm feeling so festive, my friend. How are you feeling? Ah, festive's a strong word. You're not feeling festive? I'm, I mean, I'm fine. Have you put up your tree yet? Yep. Oh, good man. Good man. I went out to the woods and cut one down. You did not. Like, legally. Oh, okay. You know that farm out of town where yeah, you go and they, yep. they give you the little handsaw and- Yeah. Yep. We used to do that. We don't anymore since the year that there was a spider nest in one. Oh, yeah. I got back and the next day I realised the thing was fucking riddled yeah. with spiders. Yeah. Just, like, I, there must have been eggs in this tree. Thousands, of, literally thousands came crawling out of this tree. Yeah. I killed- I, I smashed the eggs before they hatched <laughs> happily. Well, that's, that's so good. <laughs> we've got a spider-free tree. <laughs> it's great. That's awesome. That's very festive. That's festive for you. <laughs> yep. I know you're very anti-plastic trees. Well, not a tree. Well, <laughs> famously not a tree. That it's is true. Tree I can't argue with that. tree-shaped Christmas decoration. That's, that's true. I, I can't argue with that logic. <laughs> ours is fake. But ours is great because there's no spiders and the lights are built into it. Mate, it's Australia. There's definitely spiders. <laughs> This is the first Christmas special where it's a film neither of us have seen. We kind of ran out of Christmas movies pretty quickly. I know, once you've done Die Hard. And Reindeer Games. Nothing left. <laughs> but neither of us had seen the Christmas movie. Yes. I'll, and if we just say the Christmas movie, you know what we're talking about already. Die Hard. <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life. Neither of us had seen it. So we checked it out. We watched a thing. Fun fact. My my phone autocorrects it to it's a woeful life. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> That's the most tofu thing I've ever heard. <laughs> my phone gets me. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh. Now I'm 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 glad we finally checked this film out, given that it's, you know, nearly a hundred years old. <laughs> Nearly 100. 1946. Yeah, 46. That's basically 100, mate. Sure. That's that's older than my parents. <laughs> Sorry, mum. <laughs> um, did you watch this in the original black and white or did you go colourised? Black and white. I did both, mate. Wow. I Spoiler alert for the upcoming episode. I fucking loved this movie. I loved it so much that I watched it twice in two days. <laughs> First in black and white, then the next night, colourised. So, shall we hop into it? Love to. It's a Wonderful Life is, as we said, 1946, American Christmas fantasy drama film produced and directed by Frank Capra based on the short story and booklet The Greatest Gift, which Philip Van Dorenstern wrote in 1939 and published privately in 43. It stars Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, Henry Travers, Beulah Bondi, Ward Bond, Frank Phelan, Gloria Gerham, and it's written by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, and Frank Capra. Frank Capra. You know he won three directing Oscars in five years in the 30s? Yeah. Dude knew what he was doing. Good won effort. No won nothing for this, though. Good effort. Did you know that- Well, because no one saw this. I was going to say, did you know this film was a complete and utter flop? Lost money. Nominated for five Oscars, though. Didn't win a single one because no one saw it. The the only reason this movie is a hit is because 
it was such a flop that nobody bothered to renew the copyright on it. So in the 70s, when it was in the public domain, it was free to play on TV. And play it, they did. Isn't that a crazy story? That This is now one of the most, not just Christmas films, just one of the most beloved films of all time. All because it was just jammed in front of people's faces. Yep. Um, well, we spoke similarly about that with, um, was it Shawshank Redemption that was played- Ad nauseum. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's number one on IMDb list just because it was just always there. <laughs> like, I'm not- I-, I can picture why it didn't quite work in 1946 because you, you picture yourself as an audience member. You're like, all right, I'm going to see this this Christmas movie with with our man Jimmy Stewart in it. And like when we went to see a sci-fi adventure- called The Phantom Menace and got hit with <laughs> taxation <laughs> trade routes. Yeah. The first 90 minutes is about lending practices. Yeah, well, Frank Capra actually doesn't see this as a Christmas movie at all. And it was not supposed to release for the Christmas season. It was meant to come out in, I believe, February. That is a weird marketing plan. Yes. And it, it ended up getting pulled forward to December, I believe, only to not compete with other films. And it ended up competing with even bigger films, which made it a flop. But, yeah, so he doesn't see it as a Christmas movie. Do you? Certainly not to the extent I was expecting to. Same. I I had virtually no idea going in what to expect, really. This is way different than I thought it would be. I feel like it's still a Christmas movie mainly because of the feeling you're left with at the end of the film. That's reasonable. Yeah, I think that, you know, sure, it might not... And this this actually, in some ways, it's interesting to go back to the Die Hard debate. (laughs) Die Hard is a movie that is set entirely around Christmas, and yet is it more of a Christmas movie than It's a Wonderful Life, a film which really only a quarter of the film is about Christmas? Both are about a white dude reconnecting (laughs) with his family through adversity. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. Die Hard, basically, It's a Wonderful Life remake. More or less. Do you see that meme going around about how Die Hard is a Harry Potter movie? Yeah, that's funny. Because it's about a guy that spends a night wandering around a tower hiding from Alan Rickman. Priceless. (laughs) So, Harry Potter is effectively a ripoff of A Wonderful Life. (laughs) It all comes back. J.K. Rowling, give that money back. (laughs) All right. So, this movie um, kicks off with God and Joseph having a chat and they're galaxies and Joseph is- No, that's not God and Joseph. It's not? No. It was Joseph and someone. Yeah, Joseph, I think think that's just a coincidence that one of the angels is named Joseph. I don't think he's like- I think it's Joseph. I think it's Joseph. I don't think so. Um, Joseph's like a grumpy middle manager in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I actually- I quite enjoyed the way this was done. How did you feel about the uh, the visualization of heaven and the angels, as it were? I thought it was pretty silly. <laughs> really? Yep. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was it was cool. I I, I have to say that for a film from 1946, I actually think there's quite a few quite modern things going on from everything from the screenplay through to the filmmaking. I think this was an interesting take. Like, would you have rather that they just had, you know, people dressed as angels walking around on cotton wool? Oh, I mean, ideally you have Nicolas Cage with wings, (laughs) don't you? (laughs) Yeah, so the movie kicks off with um, flashing lights in in the galaxies. Yes, where we find out that that our man George is in trouble. People be praying for George. Yeah. Because his drama's afoot and we're going to find out why. Yes. Because really, this is just the story of a man who just desperately wants to take a gap year. That's that's really what this story is about. Yep. 
denied the opportunity through circumstance. Yeah. All he wanted to do was go to Europe, get hammered, <laughs> chase after tall blonde women. Yeah, he is a perf. We'll get to that later. Um, so then, then we start flashing through his life, and yeah, I, I, I did not know that's where this movie was going. I had no idea. Um, and and we start with him as a twelve year old. Uh, yeah, little little twelve year old kid who works at the drugstore um, has a drunk abusive boss yeah. who on the day of the shoot was both drunk and abusive. Yeah, actually. Hit the kid. Like, we all want to hit child actors. <laughs> but this guy actually hits the kid and the blood yes, is real. Can you imagine actually hitting someone so hard that their ear bleeds? I I didn't even know that you could hit someone so hard that their ear bleeds, yet alone while you're supposed to be pretend acting to do that. Like, sure, if you go full Mike Tyson- we, yeah, that now that that's going to happen. That would be funny if the druggist bit his ear off. <laughs> Something about that term just tickles me. The druggist, <laughs> yeah. And also, I love that this is back in the days when drugstores were ice cream parlors with medicine in them. <laughs> when you like, he's working at a druggist, but there he is scooping ice cream for the neighborhood kids, and you're like, wow, those are the days. I know because a, a little while back, I was, I was flicking through Netflix and this Orson Welles film. The Stranger was there, um, which I hadn't seen before. I was like, all right, I'll check this out. And li- like a bunch of scenes in that are set in a very similar place. And I'm just like, what a world yeah. where you go into this shop and just just a random amount of shit on offer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is back in the days when you'd, when you'd get Coca-Cola at the drugstore and it would actually have drugs in it. <laughs> what? You got a headache? Have some heroin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have some heroin and a root beer float. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, even before we get to the drugstore, I mean, sledding on shovels. Doesn't that look fun? I mean, that's a surefire way to never have kids, right? (laughs) Like, I've been horseback riding and that's enough to make me- I can barely ride a bicycle now without fear of just- Like, can you imagine a shovel between your legs? Looks fun, though. Does It does look pretty fun. Kid nearly dies, but- (laughs) On the drugstore scene- Instantly, I'm in love with this movie. I like. I loved this movie from start to end, and I think the relationship between him and Mary, when little young Mary leans over in his deaf ear and says, "I'll love you till the day you die," I started welling up already. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're going to laugh at me. I I thought it was so sweet, and I think that it it's little moments like that throughout this movie that just really make it for me. I was like, "Take a hint, sweetheart." <laughs> He's just not that into you. <laughs> no, I just think the child actors in this film are- I know that you're not a fan of child actors. You think it should be adults with bowl cuts. I think they're actually fantastic. And not only that, I think the casting is so well done. That little kid looks like Jimmy Stewart. Nah. Fire him. He should be Jimmy easy. Stewart with a bowl cut. He's a handsome little kid. No wonder that little girl loved him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Jimmy Stewart. Yep. He's fun. He's fantastic. I mean- Proper old-timey movie stars. They have something. And Jimmy Stewart has something. And also, let's talk about this now. Let's talk about the de-aging that's done in this film. Because it's pretty damn effective for a film from 1946. You can feel Jimmy Stewart aging in this movie. You can. He he never actually looks like he's in his early 20s. 
Oh, you don't think so? Absolutely I think the first thing not. you see him when he's buying the suitcase, it's, he's he's he looks like a young, handsome, fresh out of school man. No, you're dreaming, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but he he like you said, he's a he's a movie star. He's just got that extra quality, and by God, can he fucking act? Later on in this film, that like. The scene of him at the bar when he's, you know, really at the end of his rope and, and he's literally crying, it, it, that was insane. So, I, I read that that shot actually looks a bit shithouse because- I read this, yeah. The, when, the, when the director saw it, he was so taken with Stuart's performance that he blew up the image to effectively zoom in on Stuart yeah. because he's like, okay, the rest of this shot can get in the bin. I just want Jimmy. Yeah, and, and so, so it's it is grainy, like grainy and, yeah. But uh, like it was worth doing because his performance in that scene, and and it's a long shot too. That's probably about twenty, thirty, maybe even longer seconds of just Jimmy Stewart kind of losing it. And fuck, it's effective. Uh, the other thing I noticed, uh, he's sweating pretty profusely. The film was shot at the height of summer. <laughs> yep. So apparently, it's really warm. <laughs> It's just it's it's just a thing in filmmaking, isn't it? That everyone says anytime you're filming something that's meant to be freezing cold, invariably, <laughs> yeah. you're sweating bullets. <laughs> yeah. Like like you know when they're when they're up on the mountain and uh, Saruman's trying to kill them in Fellowship, and Merry and Pippin are shivering away, and apparently everyone was just like, "We're gonna fucking die." <laughs> it's so hot. And same thing throughout this entire film. Yeah, where they used not at the time the traditional snow was just cornflakes painted white. Mm. But they used a different type of thing for this because they because um, Capra wanted the kind of floating effect of actual snow. So well, this like revolutionised like, fake snow. Yeah, apparently also like the crunching sound of cornflakes meant that you had to redub everything, and he didn't really want to do that. Um, but do you know what they used? It was basically the chemical that's in fire extinguishers, <laughs> just watered down a little and blown out through a fan. Love it. So mostly, mostly very agreeable. Uh, our man George. Um, Jeezy throws some shade at the guy who's trying to dance with Mary, though, at graduation. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you go and know somebody else? <laughs> Sick burn. This is what I love about this movie and about Stuart's performance and about the screenplay. Like, this movie is supposed to be about a guy that is the epitome of the world's best guy. He is such a great guy that he's always sacrificing himself for other people. But- he can still be, like, he's a real person. He can still be a shit guy. Like, he makes mistakes. He explodes at his family. He He's a dick to that guy at the dance. And even though it's a movie that is about the world's most agreeable man, I love that choice. And he does it so well. And in 1946, you could be the world's most agreeable man and deny a woman her clothes. <laughs> well, you don't come across this every day. <laughs> George! <laughs> George, give her her clothes back. <laughs> Dude, it was the 40s. <laughs> and then you've got the horny old man out on his balcony telling them to make out in front of him. I know, he's just like an inch away from whipping it out right there. Well, oh, yeah, George's dad ain't the only one who has a stroke that night. <laughs> She's like, I'll call the cops. And he's like, they'll be on my side. I was like, yeah, they, yeah, actually, they would be. Yeah, he'll ring up Bert and Ernie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, geez, George. <laughs> I don't do a very good Burton Ernie. <laughs> they have wonderful chemistry. And that that entire speech he gives about pulling down the moon, which, you know, has now become pretty common as, you know, a great quote, is 
just the chemistry between them is gorgeous. Did you agree? I know you hate romance, so oh no, I thought I thought they were great on screen together. Yeah, um, that line completely went over my head. Like when she put up that little the the picture of him lassoing the moon, I was like, I don't I don't know what this is about. I was. The opposite of Steve Rogers. I did. I did not get the reference. It's a. It's a really wonderful line because it starts really strong and then it has this really weak, weird point, and then it gets really strong again. Because in the middle, he tells her to swallow it, which is kind of strange. But he's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll lash you the moon and pull it down, and then you can swallow it, which is really strange. But then he gets back into about it, you know, dis- dissolving, and you'll shoot moonbeams out of your hair, <laughs> like, and it gets really cool again. But it's just. It's weird in the middle. For what no was reason. I doing during the? I did get up to make a coffee at one point. I want, like, I actually wonder if it was because this is ringing zero bells. <laughs> this means nothing to me. <laughs> so George, of course, and the reason everyone loves him is that he works for this buildings and loan place, which, through the prism of post global <laughs> financial crisis, um, I'm not on board. <laughs> With the Baileys, yeah, who know. are just dishing out loans to people who can't pay it back. Yeah. Um, you ruined the world, George. <laughs> so Billy, Billy was once made redundant during the GFC. I was. And I blame George. I got sacked. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's weird, you know, because the movie Deeply was- Deeply irresponsible. <laughs> the movie was pretty heavily investigated by the FBI for, for communism ties, because this was back, you know, during that whole era. And it's it's weird because in a lot of ways it's kind of capitalist. It's about how how a banker is the hero of this town, but yeah. but he does just dish out cash like it belongs to everyone. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible financial practices. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to his own detriment, he literally gives away his own cash. Yeah. I mean that part's good. Yeah. Good good on you, George. He's like a Robin Hood type figure. Sure. <laughs> with deeply irresponsible lending practices. <laughs> like, I, there's, you, you never want to be on the side of the old prick. What's his name again? It starts with P, doesn't it? Mr. Yeah, Mr. Potter. Potter. You never yeah. want to be on Potter's side, but there are times where I'm like, Potter got a point. Potter, again, is played wonderfully by Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. Of, from, of course, the Barrymore family. He's a magnificent old prick. Yeah, he's fantastic. I've never seen him in anything before, but he was great. So, yeah, it's- if. if Going into this film, knowing not that much about it, it is startling that we don't hit Christmas Eve until well over an hour into the film. No, so so here we so so let's let's recap what we've spoken about. Starts with him as a child. He goes to the dance. He takes Mary's robe. Uh, at one point, when he's at Mary's house, he talks about how the house still smells like pine leaves. And I was like, oh, is that is that a subtle little? Did it was it Christmas a couple of months ago? Is that are we trying to bring in some cheer here? <laughs> But, of course, as it turns out, the Christmas Eve we're all expecting is not even in- It's, it's years away. Oh, it's years away. Years and years and years. Years away. Yeah. Speaking of years and years away, as we continue to go through the years, do you think Mr. Gower, the druggist, might be a vampire? Because we start in 1912, and by the end we're in 1946. This is a reasonable point. He was already a very old man at he was, the start of the film. He was old as fuck at the beginning. And- by the end, he's still kicking about buying George suitcases and, and giving him money when he loses everything. Like, he, he just doesn't age. No. I want to be Mr. Gower. <laughs> so everything continues to go wrong for George because he's already had to put off his gap year once when his old dad died. 
then his brother comes back from school and he's getting married and, and is not taking the job he thought he was going to take. Which, to George's credit, he's happy for his brother. Yeah, he handles it pretty well. He's not like, you fucker. <laughs> you know who he, does, who he does take his anger out on, though? It's Mary. When he goes and visits her, which, again, is, a, is a, I love that scene. When he's walking by her house and she opens the window and is like, just come inside already. Yeah, that part's good. That part of the scene is good. And then after that, he just starts being a complete and utter yeah, how to how how to get women just like, be a dick to them? How do these two end up getting married when he treats her like this for no reason? Yeah, the entire lead up to their first kiss is George just being a total bell end. Which that kiss, by the way, had to be cut down because yes. it was too raunchy, salacious. Oh, oh my! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then we cut forward to them actually getting married. Yep, everyone's happy. Everyone. Well, not everyone's happy. I mean, I can't imagine Mary's mum's thrilled. She doesn't like George. Yeah. Is, are we supposed to know why she hates George? I think- I Just think, because he's not Sam? I suppose- Yeah, I guess so. She thinks Sam's loaded. You should marry Sam. Yeah. I, I, like, I guess. Either that or cranky old woman going to be cranky old woman. Yeah. And then we know that um, that George's dreams are never going to come true because then they have kids. Yes. So- Over. It's, I mean, it's a woeful life. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, I've got kids. I love them. Like, Merry Christmas, but don't have them. <laughs> like, I, one of my favourite lines in the film is later on when he's losing it. Why do we have to have all these kids? <laughs> I was thinking right, of you while I watched it. I'm right there with you, George. I've been there. I was like, like Billy's like, George. George on Christmas Eve is just, that's just my life. Like, that's just mood. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because we're at this point where, like, all, all these good things, the positive things happening to people around George, which he's generally very happy for them for. Yeah. It takes a turn into the realm of resentment when his own life takes a turn for the worst. Yes. Because his dumb as fuck Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy. Like, if it, this movie, not only is it is it about, you know, like, capitalism and stuff, it, it's about nepotism and how that will fuck you over. Because if you have a doddery old uncle- don't give them a job. Yeah. <laughs> so he's and so- don't give him the job of taking- So it's $8,000 that he loses in this film yeah. to, to old man crankle pots. Yeah. And in, like in today's money, that would be about a hundred grand. Yeah. And this is in a day- that, You know, they live in a pretty small place. My guess- I've got nothing to back this up with. But my guess is that the home loans that he's dishing out to anyone- is probably about $2,000. Well, at one point, Mr. Potter says that we're building this guy a house worth $5,000. Ah, right. Yeah. Okay. So, he, old Uncle Billy yeah. walks to the bank- With like two houses worth. <laughs> and just loses two houses. Yeah. He is so dottery, in fact, that in the alternate timeline where Jimmy Stewart isn't there to keep him straight, he's in a mental asylum. <laughs> and you put him in charge of that job. Oops. <laughs> so, yeah, at this point, George goes home. And if you came home in that kind of mood and was surrounded by child actors, oh. <laughs> you, you would be upset. I'm like, he's losing his shit. And I'm like, reasonable. <laughs> reasonable stuff from George. See, but I do. I feel like this is quite modern, brave filmmaking. You know, like a scene like this where a man completely loses it at his family like this. I don't think you were seeing it that often in the 40s. Well, I'm sure people saw it every fucking week at home in the 40s. <laughs> I feel like this film has so many touches of genuine, brilliant, lifelike script writing for a film from this era. I, I can't praise this film enough. 
So we're finally in the final half hour and finally we meet an angel. Yeah, we get up to what I think the movie's going to be about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when George, despairing of his current situation, heads to a bridge. Well, he crashes his car, then he heads to a bridge. And oh, after yelling at a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was unreasonable by George. Um, and, and, our, and our guardian angel, Cl- Clarence? Clarence. Clarence, who's fucking useless. Um, <laughs> Clarence is great. <laughs> Um, throws himself in so that George will have to save him as he saved his little brother. Yes. Now, here is where I do have a nitpick. Good move from Clarence. I take it back. Here is where I do have a nitpick, though. George is going to jump off a bridge. So, Clarence stops him from killing himself by making him jump off the bridge. I actually actually think that's the beauty of it. But at what... Like, how was he going to kill himself by jumping off a bridge? Like, if you don't die on the drop... It would be insanely hard to make yourself drown because I feel like that would be painful and your your body instincts would be like, no, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, but then hypothermia is going to get him anyway. Is it? Is it that? Oh, yeah, I guess. I mean, they're shooting in summer, but I guess it's meant to be cold. Yes. It is snowing. Um, so, after this, he's, so he saves Clarence from the water. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. He saves Clarence from the water. Yeah. And Clarence saves him from, from killing himself. Yes. It's a savey roundabout type. So, George has his meat cute with his guardian angel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they um, they share a scene warming up in, I don't know, is it like a lighthouse keeper's yeah, thing yeah, or something? Yeah, I think it's like the Coast Guard's cottage. Yeah, in a scene that runs approximately as long as the Irishman. <laughs> Oh my god! Are you kidding me? Get somewhere, mate. It would have been like four minutes tops. You're Get exaggerating. Somewhere. This is worse than you trying to say Tommy Boy is a two. Like this is this is next level exaggeration. Did I ever say Tommy Boy was a two? Or did you say it was a one? That's even worse. <laughs> That's extreme exaggeration, mate. This scene would be four and a half minutes tops. Uh, it's long. <laughs> it's really long. What what's what's so long about it? He's trying to convince him he's an angel. George is saying he wishes he was dead. Blah blah blah. Like it's it's not it's not that big a deal, mate. Ooh, I'm sure I went to make another coffee during it. <laughs> Anyway, at some point, George says, you know what? I wish I was never born. And that gives Clarence his great idea. Yes. So, at this point, roughly 80 minutes into the film. Oh, no, it'd be more than 80 it'd, minutes It'd be into more the than film. that. The film is two hours 15. And I reckon this is the final 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of the thing. The thing that you thought this film was going to be about <laughs> yeah. now happens. George doesn't believe him, which is actually quite reasonable. Um, so, he goes to the pub. Again, reasonable. Uh, and slowly Clarence will convince him that, yes, you've been erased from human history. And not only have you been erased, but that has ruined the lives of people around you. Yep. Yeah. George George was a force for good, it turned out. Yeah. Your your old uh, good-looking girlfriend is a, is a lady of the night who's being, I don't know, is she being attacked? Yeah, she's definitely being set upon. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> your missus is- um, I mean, how horrific. She has glasses and works at the library. A fate worse what, than death. What a horrible outcome for a yeah. pretty girl in the 40s. Yeah, this movie's like, you'll never guess yeah. what's happened to Mary. I know. She's unmarried. That's literally how Clarence puts it. He's like, you're not going to like it. She never wet. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> when I would have thought George would actually be like, oh, great. Yeah, I can go pick her up. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually a win for me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, of course, his little brother's dead because he drowned aged eight or something. Yeah, and because he's dead, a whole bunch of people in the war are dead too because he never saved them. Yeah. George is fucking amazing. George, honestly, like the the amount of lives he touched. Yeah. Next level. The entire town has a different name. 
It does indeed. It's now- It's cranky Potterville. It's Potterville. And, uh, you know, where his little housing development was is the cemetery. Yeah, that's um, that's quite a change up. <laughs> Not only is there no houses that you dished out that were never going to be paid back, that were then just going to be reclaimed and spiral the world into crisis, you fucking bastard, George. Um, not only, it's not like, oh, yeah, here's just some grass. Yeah. It's our graveyard. Yeah, which here's the thing that makes me question. In small towns like this, right, cemeteries have been around for a very long time. And how many cemeteries are there in this town? So really? does that mean that in his reality there is no cemetery? Or does that mean that in this reality, so many people have died because he's not there, they needed a second cemetery? I think that's it. Or does it mean that when he built his housing development, he built it on the cemetery? Oh, my God. The sequel is a horror film. (laughs) The Pottersville horrors. It's a pet cemetery life. (laughs) Don't want to go down that ride. Of course, he's he's bumping into people that he knows from back in the day. Yeah, Um, Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie are there. The the cop. Which one's the cop? Bert Uh, and Ernie. I I I think the cop is- Ernie and the cabbie is Bert. I don't know. They're always together, which is how often do cabbies and cops hang out together? All the time in this world. <laughs> the cop, um, just just wildly irresponsible. Yes. When George runs into a public square, having done not the right thing, but not the worst thing. Yeah. He shoots. Yes. <laughs> he Open shoots. fire in like a very small town. People are walking around. He's just shooting left, right, and zenner. Not the right move, copper. He, he just starts blasting. And then anyway, not long after this, we get the scene that everyone's seen. The 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 <laughs> wait, are you really just cutting straight there? <laughs> What's left? Hang on, all right. So the cops shoot at him. Um eventually he succumbs and he says to Clarence, you know what? I, I need to live. These people need me. I need to live. <laughs> And then- I'm the white man. These people need me. <laughs> and uh, so Clarence, you know, puts everything back right. He goes and gets his wings. And Jimmy Stewart runs home praising Christmas. One of my favorite lines in the movie. Merry Christmas, movie house. I don't know why. It's just the way he says it. I love it. <laughs> I've been saying it all week. <laughs> Everyone at work loving that. <laughs> um. And then you get the final scene of the film where I don't, I'm sure you didn't. I bawled my eyes out like a little schoolgirl with a skin knee. Shock me. When everyone runs into the house and gives him the money he needs, it, it's it's like the Christmas version of Rudy. <laughs> so I I was I was surprised by this. The, did you feel emotion? Is that what you were surprised by? Yes, really. Because I was like, I spent most of the film going, just like my post GFC self looking. At this guy going, I actually think you're a bad egg. And then at the final scene, I was like, oh, this is, this is affecting. It's so touching. His acting, um, just, I mean, everything about the scene is, it tugs on your heartstrings at a level that, you know, like, you know me, I'm a crier. I cry in movies. That said, it's been a while since I've cried in a movie. I reckon the last time was Passengers. <laughs> <laughs> when you were under the influence. Yeah. So that one, I don't think that one even counts. But, um, but yeah, this got to me, and I actually cried even harder the second time I watched the movie. And the fact that you're saying it affected you, that's where you get to the real heart of the film and why I think it feels like a Christmas movie is that this, this is a film about the value of life. This, and even if you don't like George, if you see him as GFC scum, <laughs> by the end of the movie, you're like, every, every life has a value and, and you are affecting other people in ways that you don't even- don't even consider. And it's just such a beautiful, touching story, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, that is a nice bit about it. Um, it's a bit weird that the whole thing about how your life affects others, but like, it happens, happens in a shockingly small amount of time. Yeah, but I think that's in some ways what makes it so effective is that really what this film about is it's a film about George's life. You know, probably should have gone for three and a half hours. <laughs> but like the the first hour and a half is really just we're just following George from childhood through to today and just seeing the events that have shaped him and others. So that's really what makes the end so effective. When you and when you see things come around from that, like you know, you might not even remember him saving his brother from the ice, but then in this alternate reality, his brother is dead. All the people he saved are dead. I think it's really powerful. But yeah, there's there's some form of genius working in that scene because like I don't care about his kids because I've met them once and I don't yeah. care about them. Yeah. And yet when he gets back and hugs them, yeah, what why am I happy? I know. It's and it's just okay, well done movie. You hate kids. And we've all <laughs> even if you haven't seen the movie, we've all heard the line. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. I did not know that line. Oh really? Really. Oh, I've heard it like a million times. Like it gets spoofed on Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. But I like I still welled up so like not just well like I actively cried. <laughs> couple couple of fun facts. Yeah, you may have, you may have stumbled upon these as well. Earlier on in the film, when George and Mary are walking past the house that will become their home, yeah, and he's throwing rocks through the windows because that's what you do, and then it's Mary's turn. And Capra had on set a guy with a gun to shoot out the window Yeah, for when Mary does it. Little did he know, she used to play baseball and just fucking nailed the thing. Yeah. I hope she just turned around to Capra and was like, suck it, bitch. <laughs> suck it. <laughs> oh, see, but it's just, it's all those little moments in the film. Just, you know, when she doesn't tell him what she wishes for and it comes back around later. Like, it. Just, mm, I never guessed what you wished for. <laughs> but that's not the point. Like, I just think this is such a a tight screenplay that, as I said, I think it's really modern for the times. And even when you look at the filmmaking, I think the cinematography, I think, is, is really, really well done. And the editing, too. L- little things like- the freeze frames when introducing characters with the voiceover. That's that's quite a modern technique. I liked the freeze frame. There are a sequence of stunning jump cuts in the film. Yes, there are. Like, there, are. there are times where- You can't ignore them. No, there's some of them are- um, Look, they're not great. Yeah, it, there are times where it crosses the line. Yeah, where, the continuity at times like. really does just get thrown out the window. I'm <laughs> just yeah. like, we're on a mid shot of someone. Now we're going to cut to a wider mid shot. And hang on, why are they standing there now? Yeah, yeah. But I think that was probably just the editor working with the footage they were given. Yeah, well, I suppose you only had a three-time Oscar-winning director at the helm. You wouldn't expect to get much good, would you? I mean, people were a lot looser back then. It was all a bit loosey-goosey. Give an Oscar to anyone. Anyone. So, of course, in, in 2006, the AFI named this the number one on their list of inspirational movies. Yep. I was like, have you not seen Major League? <laughs> Major League is good. Major League's great. Come on. This this takes the cake. Charlie Sheen walking out to the music? <laughs> Give me that over any time a bell rings. <laughs> nah, mate, this 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 is my number one inspirational movie. Hooray for recency bias. <laughs> <laughs> this was nominated for Five Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Jimmy Stewart, Best Editing, and Best Sound Recording. 
Jesus, who else was editing this year? <laughs> My God. <laughs> and it lost four of those awards all to the same film, The Best Years of Our Lives, ah. directed by William Wyler. Did you read that the short story this was based on? Um, interesting, kind of a similar story to the film in that that was a flop. That actually never got published. He sent it around to publishing houses. No one would buy it. So he sent it out as a Christmas card. Um, the Christmas card ended up finding its way to Cary Grant, who was originally signed for the Jimmy Stewart role. He was going to produce it and then got caught up with something else and blah, blah, blah. But Came Capra's film and Capra was like, nah. Yeah, but your rubbish grand was getting Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, but interesting though that the 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 story is similar with both. They were both flops at first and then just found the right audience. This story is a Christmas miracle. So, I guess we're at the end. How are you scoring this film? It, it's not going to become a thing I watch at Christmas. I was I'm I'm not unhappy to have watched it. Um Jimmy Stewart was a delight. Uh 5 out of 10. Holy shit. You watched it with your missus? Yeah, she snoozed through a bunch of it. Really? Wow. Um, we had sport to watch last night, so she was kind of napping in preparation to watch more important things. Right. I'm all aboard the bandwagon. I'm a, I'm a fucking 10. I can even forgive the editing, you know, goofs because I just think it's such a powerful, well-constructed film. I think the story is insanely good. I think the acting is some of the best I've seen. Like, if- if I was talking about films I've watched this year, this is the best acting I've seen, even from films from this year. No, no I, I absolutely adored this film. I, it will be a Christmas mainstay in our house. The first night I watched it in black and white, it was just me. The second night, my wife watched it with me and she adored it as well. So, I can't wait to show the kids when they're old enough, yeah. which is- in, I, I assumed that it would be a much more family-friendly film than it is, but it has some dark themes going on. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a well, 10. I mean, it's a woeful life, mate. <laughs> what are we getting to over the next week, buddy? Well, end of year time means top five time. That's right. And end of the decade time. Being a, a movie-centred podcast, we are contractually obliged <laughs> to do a top ten of the decade. Yeah, we'll have two episodes coming at you this week. The first one will be our, our standard top five of this year plus top five from ten years ago. And then we'll have our top ten of the decade as well. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchthething. If you want to help support the show this Christmas season, so show some cheer and goodwill, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething. And we hope you all have an exceptional Christmas and a wonderful new year. And thank you for sticking with us through the years. We love you all. May all your angels get their wings. God bless us, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Attaboy, Clarence. (laughs) I'm Christmassy, though. Make it fun. All right. Shouldn't you do that then? No, you can be fun. (laughs) I mean, you're not often, but you can be. Are you going to jump in at any point or am I just talking? Well, you you sound like, like, was that that the whole thing?